Alrighty, welcome, welcome, what's up? How y'all doing? Welcome to the show. Just watched the great, the great Nicolas Cage vehicle, National Treasure. Oh my goodness, this was one of my favorite movies back in 2005, came out. This is a, I was 12 years old and I can, it was just, it's a perfect movie for a, <laughs> like, 12-year-old. Like, I watch it now, and it's still, I still enjoyed it, but I could see how back then, it's it's more thrilling. The, the stealing of the Declaration of Independence was more daring, but it, it, I still enjoyed it. It was still, still holds up. It still holds up real good. But this was one of my favorites back in the day. Loved, loved this movie. My introduction to Nicolas Cage. Good stuff. It's good, it's good stuff. So here we go. Let's just get into it. First, this podcast, I want to I say it's my baby. And you don't even have to pretend to be interested in my baby pictures, because you just got to listen and share, baby. So (laughs) I thought of that when I was walking this morning. I was like, oh, man, I got to say that. I'm going to write that down. So there you go. There's no baby pictures, just just some audio. So let's do... uh, the funniest let's get it kicked off here with the funniest scenes so first off I have Riley knows something about history that Ben doesn't and it was about the daylight, uh, the <laughs> daylight savings not being introduced till what well, I can't remember what they I didn't I think it was 1800 or something or 19, one of those. But yeah, it was about that not being introduced till later. And then Riley. So Riley's played by Justin Bartha, who you know from, he's being Doug from The Hangover, the guy who gets lost because they can't, the, the friend that they can't find in The Hangover. And then... Nicholas Cage is Ben Gates and Diane what's her name Diane Kruger is Abigail Chase and then Sean Bean is the main villain Ian and John Voight is Nicholas Cage's dad and then there Harvey Keitel is the FBI guy so there we go so yeah, that first one was was pretty funny when <laughs> when Riley he gets all excited about knowing something that Ben doesn't know. He's like, "Let me just take in this moment, breathe this in for a second. And so when another funny scene when Ben asks the cashier if he can see one of the hundred dollar bills he paid with. And she says no, 
and then he gives her his diving watch as collateral. And then I like how when he's telling the story of what's on the back of the $100 bill, he starts, he includes her. He, he starts telling the cashier the story too. <laughs> he, I like how inclusive Nicolas Cage is there. Inclusive and inf informative instructor. Nicholas Cage. He'd be a good a good like science professor or something. A good uh college I could see Nicholas Cage as a college professor. I could see him rocking that brown leather jacket with the tweed tweed elbows? Or no, it's the tweed jacket with the leather patches on the elbows what I believe I'm trying to point out. All right. So another funny thing, the lady in the steak, uh, at the steak stand in the market, when Abigail is hiding from one of the bad guys and she tells the lady that it's her ex-husband and then the ex, the, the bad guy, he tells the steak lady to shut up, and then the steak lady says, I see why you left him. <laughs> and she's just, she's funny. So, <laughs> I guess he had to be there, I guess. <laughs> she's funny. And then, let's see, at the end, when they see the treasure, Riley's crying, and Abigail asks him, Riley, are you crying? And then he says, yeah, look, stairs. Because they're still trying to find a way to escape and get out of there. So that's funny. And then, let's, and then at the very end, when Riley is talking to Ben, and Ben is explaining he's about to go in-depth on some historical fact. And Riley says, yeah. Yeah, someone did something in history and had fun and whatever. And then he drives off in his red sports car. So that's what <laughs> Yeah. That's that's what I have for all the funniest scenes. And then for adding adding any scenes I have so right at the beginning I thought it would be funny if when Ben was doing his dramatic speech in front of the Declaration of Independence about how important it is and, and how he's going to steal it. I thought it would have been funny if he just smashed the glass real quick and then he was like, go, 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 go. Get out of here. <laughs> we got the Declaration. <laughs> just he's starting to go into some in-depth plan and then that, that'd be like if it was a Family Guy episode. That might be what happens. That sounds kind of cartoonish. Like, he'd probably break his hand on the glass. It's bulletproof, like they said. He'd have to use some sort of hammer or something. Get through that glass. But that's just not realistic. All right. <laughs> and then, yeah, that's all I had for the only scene I would add. And then... For most improbable, I have 
just the fact that someone would steal the Declaration of Independence. I think that the main plot of the movie is just seems improbable to me. It just seems like more trouble than it's worth. Because you wouldn't be able to sell it for that much money or like it seems like it it'd make more sense from a criminal perspective to just steal diamonds or something or jewelry or gold or something with clear value uh, other than maybe for social media <laughs> like in the if we jump ahead to the 2020 update Someone, the only reason someone would steal the Declaration of Independence now is so they could get the Instagram followers from it. Get the selfie, the, the selfie with the deck, the deck selfie. But then, but then that's the FBI, that'd make it pretty easy for the FBI to find you. They'd be hot on your trail if you're post on your Instagram there. So, yeah, I think it's improbable that someone would steal the declaration. And then in the very beginning, when they're up in Antarctica, up there in the ice, or wherever they were, up, up there in the cold, I thought it was improbable that Ben and Riley would survive that massive explosion. Excuse me. Excuse me. Ooh. Get, let me get a sip of water. Mm. I just... It was a pretty big explosion. And they were hidden b below some pretty shanty wood. It, it didn't look like very good shelter for them. But I guess it would have been a short movie. It wouldn't really have made sense with the whole plot of the movie. If the two main characters just dropped out in the very beginning that would not make sense all right so that's what i got for improbable there let's do sports center top 10 sports center was going to make top 10 lists about national treasure i have riley's gadgets so they do all the cool technology he uses and Ben's rabbit holes. So all the crazy conspiracy and all that treasure hunting jazz that Ben gets himself wrapped up in. That's what I got there for Sports Center Top 10. And the MVP, it's pretty clear in this movie. Clearly Nicolas Cage. It's a no-brainer. For let's do cross era comparisons. I have Indiana Jones, which I th I thought of Indiana Jones, and then I looked at the back of the DVD case I have here, and it says National Treasure is the Indiana Jones of the New Millennium. Who said Paul Fisher from Dark Horizons said that? Sounds like a 90s band, Dark Horizons, <laughs> Vertical Horizon. I remember Vertical Horizon. They had, 
What was that one song they had? She is everything you want. She is everything you need. She is everything inside you to be. She does all the right things at exactly the right time. Is, is that vertical? I, I think that's vertical horizon right there. Uh, don't know where that came from. I just conjured that up. But yeah, I. so maybe I subliminally have seen that before in the back of this movie. But it definitely has Indiana Jones in it. And then also Pirates of the Caribbean, which is on the front. It says, from the producer of Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> so I just get everything from the DVD case. And then also the original Jumanji. So I have that as another comparison there. And then that's all my comparisons. For Sixth Man... I have John Voigt as Nicolas Cage's dad and Harvey Keitel as the FBI guy who seemed to be in his own movie. Like hit the the tone of Harvey Keitel's scenes don't really match up with the atmosphere of the rest of the movie. Like his like it's much more intense. Like it actually feels like lives are at stake when Harvey Keitel's on screen. But then it's more family fun with the with the rest of the cast. But yeah, I don't I don't know why Harvey Keitel's scenes seem so serious. But maybe he didn't read the whole script or something. I don't know. Maybe he he can't turn down the intensity. But I don't. Yeah, uh, I just know. I definitely know him from Pulp Fiction, obviously. But I'm, I'm sure he's in. He's great in Pulp Fiction, but I'm sure he's in lots of stuff. Let's just. Look, why, why are you even wondering? Why am I? Why am I even wondering when I can just? Let's see what Harvey Keitel is most known for. Other than Pulp Fiction. Uh, Harvey Keitel. I, I can't. You can't do it. Mean Streets. Oh, Reservoir Dogs, of course. Another good one. Taxi Driver. Last Temptation of Christ. Delma and Louise. Copland. Grand Budapest Hotel. That's a good movie. And The Irishman. Okay. Yep. He is 81 years old. From Brooklyn, New York. Got married in 2001. He's 62. He is... But then he has three kids. So... He probably had him before he got married. Ah, he was in the... Marine. He's a Marine. Ah, thank you for your service. Mr. Keitel. Alright. There you go. There's a little... Harvey Keitel history lesson there. All right. Let's do the rookie. I have Riley, so Justin Bartha, and Abigail, Diane Kruger. They're both newcomers. 
I, th- I think this was the first time I'd seen either of them. Yeah, they're and they're both good. Really enjoyed. Yeah, they're like Riley was funny, and Abigail was. She was the love interest of Ben of Nicolas Cage. She was good too. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I don't know what to say. Uh, the coach is I got for the coach of the movie John Voigt Nicolas Cage's dad who's constantly trying to talk him out of being a treasure hunter but then in the end he he loves treasure even more than Nicolas Cage in the end so he's he's been converted by the great Nicolas Cage by his treasure hunting ways which is probably reflective of what he does in real life. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he... What was that list? There was like a list of like... I think we probably talked about this like last year. Like early in the podcast. Nicolas Cage crazy purchases. I think there's a list. Yep, 12 exactly. 12 absurd things Nicolas Cage actually bought from Thrillist.com. Here we go. I feel like we went over this. This is like some early podcast stuff. Back when I was obsessed with Nicolas Cage. I love the the Cage Meister. Love the Cagester. Alright, here we go. 12 absurd things Nicolas Cage has bought. And he gets a sip of water. Prepare myself for this. Number one is two albino king cobras. Not one, but two. Two snakes. Sources say Cage allegedly had the anti-venom handy just in case things got hairy. Untrusted sources, uh, untrusted sources, said he'd use the snakes for sex stuff. What? (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) That's like the most roundabout way of, I have no idea what, in what way could you use the snakes for sex stuff? What is he, I mean, were they choking him? Is that like the whole, what's the, you know, the thing where I, yeah, that's just terrible. I would never want to get choked. For, for sexual pleasure. <laughs> that, I mean, that's how uh, Robin Williams... Is that not how... Wait, now I gotta look this up. Am I wrong about this? Isn't that how Robin Williams died? Am I wrong? Am I spreading lie? Am I spreading lie right now? Am I spreading rumor? I, I swear... Wait. <laughs> it's, okay, it just says... Hanging. It just says he hanged himself. Am I wrong? Was it? <laughs> uh, okay. Maybe it was. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't. I'm just going to Google auto erotic. I just Google Robin Williams auto erotic. Wait. All right. No. I'm wrong. I don't. I don't. Th- I don't know. 
wait, this, <laughs> this, this Reddit thing, proof that Robin Williams died of autoerotic asphyxiation. So there, but then he played a character in a movie, World's Greatest Dad. Wait, and then in World's Greatest Dad, I think his character does that. What? I don't. So how does that have to do with? <laughs> yeah, his son. In World's Greatest Dad, his son has died autoerotic association. Apparently, there's lots of conspiracy theories that people think... People... Wait. Look at... All right, here we go. Did Robin Williams die autoerotic? Williams was struggling with his Parkinson's Parkinson's anxiety, depression, and paranoia before his death, according to the coroner's report obtained by TMZ. His death was attributed to accidental autoerotic asphyxiation by Thai authorities. What? So, is it? Is it true? <laughs> I'm just gonna. It sounds like it's true. It sounds like that's what happened to him. That's unfortunate. I mean, not that you want, you don't want to die anyway, in any way, but that's just the way, <laughs> if you want to embarrass yourself after death, <laughs> that's the way that you can, oh man, that's a rough way to embarrass yourself post-mortem, God, that's like the worst thing, like, like as he was, I wonder if as he was dying, he's like, Thinking to himself, no, people are going to find me. <laughs> My legacy is going to be ruined. Or does he just not, maybe he just doesn't care. I don't know. That's, that'd be, that'd be a, a terrible last thought for him though. Good. See, and that's, ladies and gentlemen, that's why you don't mess around with choking. Like, what? I never want to get choked for <laughs> during in any capacity. <laughs> I mean, what a yeah, just it just sounds sick to me. Like, I don't I don't get it. Must be must be insanely pleasurable for someone to risk their life doing Ugh. <laughs> Wait, let's just move on. Let's just get off this topic. All right. How do you use the snakes for sex stuff? <laughs> back, back to that question. What do you do with the snakes? Hmm? <laughs> Nicholas, Ca Nicholas Cage? Hmm? What do you do? All right. Back to absurd things Nicholas Cage bought. Number two, a Gulfstream jet. It says a lot about a person when their least ridiculous purchase is a Gulfstream jet. I guess it makes sense in retrospect. How else are you going to get from Middle East to Narnia in under six hours? I don't. Are they saying he lives in Narnia? Number three, pygmy shrunken heads. According to the visitors who have made it out of the erratic actor's pleasure dome, Nick Cage has a collection of pygmy shrunken heads specifically for unknown purposes. I like that. I like how it says specifically 
for unknown purchases purpose purposes it's specifically unknown guys it's, just, it's not generally unknown specific we suspect they're to aid in the making of getting head jokes with ease all right whoever wrote this was was having some fun they're they're uh, drinking a martini writing a little list of nicholas cage absurd purchases okay uh, number four, the first Superman comic. Cage apparently had a comic book collection worth over 1.6 million, including Action Comics number one, which marks the very first appearance of Superman, and Detective Comics 38, which introduced Batman's BFF Robin. They have Batman and Robin both have the matching BFF bracelets. That'd be a fun touch. To their costumes, their costumes. Number five, a pyramid tombstone. Yep, a nine foot pyramid shaped tomb in New Orleans emblazoned with the Latin phrase omni ab uno, uno, which translates to everything from one. This, of course, references Cage's omnipotence and de facto ownership of everything in the universe. There's also a map to it on the dollar bill that you can find if you look really hard. I think that's a reference to National Treasure, is it not? The whole map on a dollar bill thing, it's got to be a reference. Uh, number six, a 67 million year old Tarbosaurus skull. Legend has it that Nick Cage outbid Leo DiCaprio for this Jurassic perk. LOL. It actually says, it says LOL there in the print. Valued at over 300000 However, it was later found out that the skull's roots trace back to the black market. In other news, there's a black market for dinosaur parts. Yeah, that's funny. That's probably, Nicolas Cage is probably a member of that. He's probably on the board, on the board of the Dinosaur black market. Number seven, an octopus. He owned an octopus. Who desires the company of an octopus? It is very unclear. All right, these these blurbs have nothing to do with, <laughs> with the purchases. But that just reminds me of that Netflix documentary I keep hearing people talk about, about the guy who fell in love with the octopus. Or I don't know if he fell in love with it, but had some sort of relationship with it. Number eight, a shark. Uh, I'm not even going to read the blurbs anymore. Number nine, a crocodile. Actually, I will read the blurbs. <laughs> so number eight, a shark. Why go through the anguish of waiting all year for Shark Week when you can have it every day? Sources say he named one Bitey, and by sources, I mean me. Okay, very funny. Number nine, a crocodile. Guests frequently describe Cage's house as a zoo due to his weird bevy of exotic animals, which would make the addition of a crocodile totally normal. So really, everything's fine. It's only a big deal if you make it a big deal. Number 10, a private island. Better yet, a private island next door to Johnny Depp's private island. Celebrities, they're not like us at all. 
number 11, a haunted murder mansion. Okay, so it's time to take a big old toke from the history pipe. In the 1800s, there was a socialite serial killer named Madame LaLaurie, the basis of Kathy Bates' character in American Horror Story, Coven. I thought it was going to... What if it was American Horror Story, COVID? That's not bad. That's not bad. All right. The house where she lived, killed and tortured slaves, still stands to this day in New Orleans was purchased by Nicolas Cage in 2006 for a sum of 3.45 million. It's haunted. And the f- last one, this was written by Jeremy Glass. He's the vice editor for Super Compressor. Follow him on Twitter because of peer pressure at Candy and Pizza. See, that's a good Now that's a good Twitter screen name. Candy and pizza. See, I'm, I'm going to remember that. That's not, that's a, that's a good one. Touche, Jeremy Glass. All right, but this is the last item. <laughs> Number 12, the Shaw of Iran's Lamborghini. Ah, the 1990s, a time of decadence, wonder, and unbridled passion. In 1997, Nicolas Cage bought a Lamborghini Mira SVJ for 450000 that used to belong to the late Shah of Iran. It's that age-old saying, if you're going to blow half a million dollars on a luxury car, make sure a Shah's blessed it beforehand. Alrighty, there you go. That's a fun list of Nicolas Cage purchases. And we have veered way off the court. Let's just get back on track here. Here we go. New category. National Treasure, Best Survivor Contestant. Which character would be the best on Survivor? And I have Nicolas Cage. Because he's charismatic, manipulative, scheming. He's good at puzzles. And I bet maybe his private island is similar to... Where they stay in Survivor. He's familiar with the terrain. There you go. Speaking of reality shows, next category reality TV showify it. You, I don't know if that's a clear name. You, you showify. So I meant turn the movie into a reality TV show. So this is this one was pretty easy cuz I just thought of a reality TV show that already exists. I was planning on just making up a reality TV show, but uh, The Amazing Race. That's the one. This movie is very similar to The Amazing Race. It could be Amazing Race 7 Wonders of the World edition. That could be how you do it. So, oh, and another new category. Which Simpsons character would it be? Or no, not would it be. Which Simpsons character would be in it? Would Which one would be one of the people in National Treasure? And my answer is Lisa. Because I think Lisa, 
She loves history. She'd be really interested and she'd want to see the Declaration of Independence. So I could see her teaming up with Nicolas Cage and Riley and Abigail on the good guys team. I could see Lisa. Lisa, she'd be like uh, Riley's sidekick. So, so there you go. There, there's that's that that that's that category. Now, another new category is going to be best blank movies. And I'm going to look up. Let's see what are the best heist movies, because I consider this a heist movie. I mean, it's also. Let's use. How about we use Vulture? <laughs> Vulture.com, the 25 best heist movies of all time from June 2018. Let's see what they got. I'll just run through them quickly. Number 25, Baby Driver. Saw it in theaters. Remembered, it was good. I, I enjoyed it. Saw it at a movie th- theater that. I rarely went to. It was at the Regal. I'm typically an AMC man. Having worked for AMC back in four years ago. But yeah, for some reason, must have had a coupon or something. Saw Baby... Or maybe maybe Baby Driver was only playing at the Regal in Linwood. Which is close by to the... To the AMC Alderwood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Baby Driver was good though. I I thought remember remember it being very snappy and yeah, it's that it's that Edgar Wright style directing. Who, who what? He did uh Oh Scott Pilgrim vs. the world. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Wait, how did what else did did he do the was he the one that did the the movies with God with a uh, Simon Pegg and did he do those ones? You know the yeah Hot Fuzz, yeah exactly Shaun of the Dead. That's he's the director exactly with a uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Those those movies are funny. Hot Fuzz. I remember Hot Fuzz being really funny. The World's End. I saw that one in theaters as well. That came out summer 2013. The World's End. Yes. Follows five friends who discover there's an alien invasion in their hometown during an epic pub crawl. I do remember that. Yep. All right. Very good. So <laughs> let's not get sidetracked. Number 25, Baby Driver. 24, The Town. Good movie. 23, The Italian Job from 1969. Not the one with Marky Mark. Hi, you guys. You guys want to do the Italian job? You guys want to do an Italian job? You guys want to drive some Mini Coopers? Let's go. Dri- hey, guys, let's go drive some Mini Coopers. All right. You guys got some Mini Koopas? <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, 22, Fast Five. 
saw it in theaters, fell asleep with with friends. Fast Five came out right right when I was right before I graduated high school, I believe. When if probably came out in it was twenty eleven, probably June. I'm guessing came out in June. Oh, April. Wow, April 29th, right after my birthday. There you go. All right, back to the list. Number 21, Logan Lucky. I just got to go back to, <laughs> I never saw Logan Lucky, but back to Fast Five. Just that, the scene where, they, where they're dragging that bank vault through the streets of Rio or wherever Brazil, wherever they are. They're just that the bank vault scene is epic. I that's when I woke up. I woke up during the bank vault scene. Cause I somehow I knew it was gonna be good. Even though I was asleep, I knew I gotta watch this right now. I gotta wake up and watch this bank vault destroy a bunch of parking meters and <laughs> storefronts. Alright. Number 20 on the list, Ronin from 1998. Never saw it. Number 19, Bottle Rocket, Wes Anderson. I love, love the Wes Anderson movies. I saw Bottle Rocket, but it's been a, been a few years since I've seen that one. Early Owen Wilson. It's, remember liking it. All right, number 18. Sexy Beast from 2000. Never even heard of that. Number 17, Inside Man from 2006. The Spike Lee joint, which we've done as a f- on a film flip. We flipped that film already, Inside Man. It was fun. I liked doing that one. That was fun. Talking to my cousins. Number 16, A Fish Called Wanda. That's the one. Isn't there some basketball? Wait, who's the basketball? Isn't Dr. J in this? Or a fish called Wanda. Let's see. No, that's the fish that say Pittsburgh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is different than the fish that saved Pittsburgh. Okay, right? Isn't that what, what that fish that saves Pittsburgh? Exactly. And is it? It is Dr. J. Exactly. Very good. And Meadowlark Lemon as well. And Kareem. Very good. All right. Let's see. Number 15. The Bank Job. Jason Statham. Don't think I've heard that one. Number 14. Heat from 1995. I've never seen Heat. But they love that movie on... The Rewatchables. That's Bill Simmons and Chris Ryan's favorite movie. I gotta see it someday. Number 13, Dog Day Afternoon, Al Pacino. Have not seen it. I haven't seen a lot of good movies. Number 12, The Usual Suspects. That's a great movie. Even though people are like saying it doesn't hold up because it has Kevin Spacey and then Brian Singer, both of them have gotten in trouble. Number 11, Quick Change, 
never heard of it. Number 10, Reservoir Dogs, great movie. Number 9, Three Kings. Uh, George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg, and Ice Cube. What a fun trio. I'd like to have I'd like to have a beer with George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg, and Ice Cube. I wonder if Ice Cube puts ice cubes in his beer. Eh? <laughs> does does Ice Cube use ice cubes more than he just carries them around in his pockets? And they're always melting. So then Ice Cube's pockets are always wet. <laughs> He's like, what? I had ice. Come on, man. I had ice in there. He gets mad as pockets for. It's <laughs> like why you why you gotta melt my ice? That's my currency. <laughs> I trade in ice cubes. All right, number eight, The Sting from nineteen seventy three. No, having been, it's is it Paul Newman and Robert Redford? Yeah, haven't seen it. Number seven, Jackie Brown. I think that might be the only Tarantino movie I have not seen. Number six, Out of Sight. Haven't seen it. Number five, Inception. Of course, I saw saw that one in theaters. Theaters. I remember the whole, the crowd was going on a roller coaster at the end. When the, the spinning top, it's like, is the top wobbling? Or is it, did the top wobble? Everyone's like, whoa. That's a great ending. Number four, Ocean's Eleven. May have seen it. Number three, Rafifi. Heard of that name. Number two, Bonnie and Clyde. Number one, The Killing. Stanley Kubrick, 1956. All right. So there you go. Now, let's go back. Whoops, I keep pressing P. <laughs> I thought I was pressing the back button, but I just kept pressing P instead. <laughs> P, 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 P. All right, let's go back to best golf movies. Let's see, just in, because we're going to go back to Happy Gilmore here for a sec. Best golf movies. Let's use Bleacher Report. Might as well. Yeah. All right, thanks, Bleacher Report. Here we go. Number 15, we'll just run through this. The Man with the Perfect Swing. No, haven't heard of it. Number 14, Caddyshack 2. Haven't seen it. Number 13, The Caddy. Number 12, A Gentleman's Game. Number 11, Dead Solid Perfect. God, I haven't heard of any of these. Number 10, Miracle on the 17th Green. <laughs> There's so many just... These sound made up. Number nine, Pat and Mike. That doesn't even sound like a golf movie. Number eight, Who's Your Caddy? That one's with... Hey, Lil Wayne's in that movie? What? <laughs> what? What year is that? Who's Your Caddy? Huh. Number seven, Follow the Sun. God, there's just not a lot of good golf movies. Just number six, greatest game ever played. Number is that that's with a young Shia LaBeouf. Number five, Bobby Jones, Stroke of Genius. Uh, 
what's that? It's like a documentary. <laughs> the fifth best, fifth best golf movie ever is a documentary. All right. Number four, The Legend of Bayer Vance. Will Smith, Matt Damon. What? Oh, I didn't. Charlize Theron. Didn't know she was in that movie. Haven't seen it. Heard it was good. Oh, wow. I can't believe Bleacher Report has Caddyshack as the third best golf movie. They have Happy Gilmer as second. And then they have Tin Cup as first. With the great Kevin Costner. My parents had that movie on DVD back home in Bothell. I wonder if it's still there. I don't... I don't think I haven't I haven't ran into the Tin Cup DVD, so hmm, wow, it must be good. They have it as the best golf movie ever. Alrighty, now let's do Hot Tub Time Machine. Let's do best snow movies. Let's see what they got. Here we go. Oh, snowy thrillers. I don't want. How about how about uh. How about Country Living 40 Best Winter Movies? CountryLiving.com. Here we go. 40 Best Winter Movies to Watch with a Warm Blanket and a Cup of Cocoa. This is Why We Love the Cold by Jennifer Aldrich and Megan Stein. September 10th, 2020. It's a recent list. Here we go. Oh, they don't even have it numbered here? Oh, here we go. I see. So, first up, I'll just go through them real quick. <laughs> it's just all lists now. So, they got Frozen. I don't know what order this is in, but Frozen, Eight Below, Winter's Tale, The Snowman, Happy Feet, Star Wars A New Hope, 101 Dalmatians, Serendipity, Serendipity, Snow White and the Huntsman, Charlize Theron, The Holiday, Jack Black, Jude Law, Kate Winslet, and Cameron Diaz. I remember when The Holiday, that's like 07 or something. That's a, We have Vertical Limit. Hey, it's, it's almost like Vertical Horizon. She is everything you want. She is everything you need. She is everything inside of you that you wish you could be. She says all the right things at exactly the right time. And she's not gonna win it. I don't know the words at the end there. E. Miracle. Great movie. One of my favorites. I, I memorized the coach's full speech. And I did it as a monologue on my YouTube. I was pretty proud of myself. I think it's like almost, what, it's like a minute and a half straight talking. Speak, doing speeching. Doing speech. Number whatever, Snow Day. Never saw Snow Day. The Family Stone. 
Dr. Zivago, I, Tonya. I remember I, Tonya being really good. I saw that one in theaters, too. I've seen lots of movies in theaters. Wind River, saw that one in theaters. That's a crazy twist. I guess you'd call it a twist. It's a very dark movie. Jeremy Renner and the the other Olsen sister, Elizabeth Olsen. The one who's not Mary-Kate and Ashley. We have The Grey. The Grey was good. The Grey was good. Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. Yeah, yeah. Fargo. Great movie. God. The first season... The first two seasons of Fargo... I, th- I think it was particularly the first season of Fargo, the TV show, was one of the best seasons of TV ever. That was just so intense. I'd like to rewatch the movie. See how the movie compares to the TV show. I can't believe they're still it's still making the TV show. It's going on right now. But I think I missed the last couple seasons. We have Groundhog Day. Great movie. Haven't seen it for years. Winter Sleep. Haven't heard of it. Whiteout. Haven't heard of it. March of the Penguins. Never saw it. Ice Age. Grew up on that one. The Day After Tomorrow. Dennis Quaid and Jake Gyllenhaal. Don't, I don't know if I ever, maybe bits and pieces on TNT. It's like, it's one of those movies that would be on TNT. Maybe USA Network. Maybe, maybe FX, if you're feeling frisky. Elf, great movie, classic. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, great movie. Heard they're remaking that with Will Smith and Kevin Hart. Is what I've heard. Let's let's look that up. Let's see if we can confirm that. Planes. Here we go. This is gonna be a long one to type in here. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Remake. I want to see. Uh, we doing a remake here? Remake. Remake. Yeah. Will Smith and Kevin Hart will star. There we go. We got a confirmation. We have a confirmation. We have The Shining. We're still going the winter movies. Polar Express, Mr. Popper's Penguins. Don't think I never saw that one either. But the Polar Express is a isn't that's a super creepy animation. Isn't it's like the it's that weird in-between animation where they make it it's a little too real. It's a little it's, it's the Uncanny Valley of animation there. Grumpy Old Men. My dad was telling me about this movie a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Jack Lemon, Walter Matthau, and Anne Margaret. Mm-hmm. Two fighting neighbors get even more divided when a woman moves in on their streets. It's a woman. It's a woman on the street. She's moved in, though. Get her. <laughs> she moved in. Get her. <laughs> they just... Uh, we have Into the White, which Ron Weasley, the guy who plays 
Rupert Grint. Apparently, that's the name of Ron Weasley. Rupert Grint. Never knew that. It's about World War II soldiers. We have Cool Runnings, Home Alone, Christmas Perfection. I don't know. I, I'm sure I saw Cool Runnings. Definitely, I, I swear we watched that in school. That's like one of those movies that we watched in elementary school. I remember watching that one. I haven't seen it since then. But Home Alone, yep, great course. Christmas Perfection, what? Never heard of it. A Christmas Prince, it's a Netflix original. The Grinch, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, of course. The Christmas Chronicles and A Cinderella Christmas. There you go. That's your whole list right there. Now, I want to see if anything comes up. Let's try doing Best Hot Tub. Let's see. <laughs> best Hot Tub Movies. Let's see what comes up. Five movies with fantastic hot tub scenes. Thermospas. This is from thermospas.com. Let's see what they came up with. Movies with hot tub scene. Oh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. One of my favorite movies of all time. Great hot tub scene. Of course. When Cameron's in the hot tub and... Yeah. Ferris and his girlfriend, Sloan, relax in a hot tub. I guess Cameron was... Oh yeah, Cameron was falling into the pool. He was sitting on the diving board. And then falling into the pool, right? Yeah, Ferris and his girlfriend Slane relax in a hot tub after an adventurous and expertly executed day off from school. Um, mm-hmm. Mm, unfortunately, the conflicted Cameron, Ferris's friend, opts to spend time in the pool instead of joining the couple in the spa. Well, he didn't want to be a third wheel. While Ferris and Sloane soak their troubles away in a soothing spa, Cameron worries over his impending punishment. If you're in the mood for a carefree, funny movie, check this one out. I agree. It's a it's very carefree, just a great movie. It's just a, it's a must watch. All right, so other movies with hot tub scenes, Hot Tub Time Machine is the second one, of course. Number three is About Schmidt. Don't think I've seen that. Did I see about Schmidt? A widower who tries to find purpose in life and reconnect with his daughter. Nah, I didn't see that. Lion King one and a half and Austin Powers International Man of Mystery. All right, there you go. Here's your hot tub movies. Now, let's do, <laughs> we just keep getting into it. Let's just do one more, one more of these lists here. Let's do best time Time travel movies. Very good. Let's see what we got here. The 25... Let's use Collider. Collider.com Adam Chitwood made this list. The 15 best time travel movies ever made ranked. Number 15, Primer. Haven't heard of it. 14, The Terminator. I'll be back. Never saw it. <laughs> 13, About Time, haven't heard of it. 
12, Back to the Future, Part D. Love Back to the Future. Love the first and second one. The third one with the Western is kind of off the board, but kind of goes goes crazy. But the first two Back to the Futures are classic movies. Number 11, Idiocracy. That's the one that everybody says is like a the 1984 of movies. Like how it predicted the future. I saw Idiocracy. That's Mike Judge. The, the King of the Hill guy and Beavis and Butthead. I never got into King of the Hill. I don't, don't know why. Maybe it's because it, it always kind of seemed like a rival of The Simpsons. That's how much I like The Simpsons. So I was like, I gotta stick it to King of the Hill. But I, I heard it was good though. Number 10, Looper. Never, I don't, I may have saw Looper. I, no, I saw Jumper. I definitely saw Jumper. It's like a similar movie. Number nine, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Number eight, Star Trek. Seven, Twelve Monkeys. Six, Seven Monkeys. No, six, Edge of Tomorrow. Or Live, Die, Repeat is the other title for that. Don't I don't think I ever saw this one either. The number five, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Of course I saw that one. That was another great movie. Number four, Planet of the Apes. Nah. Number three, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Nah. Number two, Groundhog Day. Again. And number one... Back to the Future. Wait, they didn't even put Hot Tub Time Machine on there. Wow. Surprise, Hot Tub Time Machine didn't even make their list. Alrighty. Alright, there we go. We did all the best lists. We went, <laughs> went over a lot of lists right there. Now, let's do the 2020 update. So, for my 2020 update... I'm gonna get first. I'm gonna get a sip of water. One second. Mmm. Mmm. That's good water. All right. 2020 update. I have. How would you change the movie to make it like 2020? Of course. Not not necessarily 2020 specifically. With all the crazy stuff happening, I just mean how would you make it more current? So. I have. Riley would be addicted to his iPhone. And then he'd be getting way too much screen time. So he'd have to be battling that, doing the the screen time battle to try to he'd be he'd be reading more books and going for walks and long walks without his phone, all that stuff. And he'd probably just get way too into the virtual reality world and then start Getting addicted to virtual reality porn, which I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Let's not even go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think, any any porn is gonna scramble your brain, but <laughs> virtual reality porn. 
that's just next level manipulation of your stimuli. And that would just that would just ruin you in everyday life. I'm never gonna do it. I'm never gonna <laughs> I'm I'm too scared. I'm scared of so it's like a yeah, you just I just don't see any upside in that. I don't I don't even know why let's just not even yeah, it's not even twenty twenty update. Also, Nicolas Cage's character would love Eddie Bravo. And he would also with with all his conspiracy theories, all that good stuff, and also he would write a wiki how wikihow.com how to steal the declaration of independence he definitely would write his own entry there all right that's what i got for 2020 update if this movie was an animal it would most definitely be a bald eagle of course it'd be a bald eagle it's a, a truly a patriot patriotic movie um my movie tagline, the tagline that I wrote for this movie, hide, <clears throat> hide and go seek treasure, <laughs> hide and go seek treasure, it's a seek treasure at the end there, hide and go seek treasure, that's how you have to say it, <laughs> okay, that's how it goes, and oh, another new category, Pro athlete who probably loves this movie. Pro athlete who probably loves National Treasure. I have Drew Brees. For some reason, I could just see Drew Brees in his rumpus room on a recliner. Just a big bowl of popcorn. He's like, let's watch some National Treasure, guys. This is us. We just played some foosball. You know, just cooling off. Drinking a root beer. Let's watch some National Treasure. I it just I, I just I can picture Drew Brees liking this movie. I don't know why. Just he's got a. It's it's just it's just the imagination. Just Drew Brees probably likes National Treasure. It's just how it is. Just like Eli Manning probably likes Night at the Museum. You know. That's like, it's, of course, Eli Manning, I, I, I can just see it right now. Eli Manning probably likes Night at the Museum. It's, it's a good movie. All right. And what would Peyton Manning? Peyton is more of like an old school. Like I, I can see, I bet Peyton Manning loves old school. Because he's more of a jokester, prankster type. Of, like he probably likes jackass. Peyton probably likes the jackass guys. He likes he he wishes he could be like Johnny Knoxville, and Johnny Knoxville wishes he could be Peyton Manning. So maybe they should just do a Freaky Friday little body swap. All right, another new. <laughs> let's just keep it moving here. Another new category: create a cameo. So you gotta name an actor, and what character would they be in the movie? I have. For National Treasure, Kevin Hart as a tour guide in the Library of Congress. 
that was almost like a game of Clue right there. Kevin Hart with a lampshade as a tour guide in the Library of Congress. <laughs> but I, he would just be so funny as a tour guide. I could definitely see that'd be a great little cameo for for K Hart or KH. I would enjoy that. So there we go. And let's we made it all the way. Before we do before we do the memorable lines, I just want to clear something up from last I just want to, I want to from last episode we were talking Catcher in the Rye and the dude who killed John Lennon said he was inspired by Catcher in the Rye, but I, whoops, don't want to click on, don't want to click on the photo. It's a cool, it's a cool cover of the book though. It's like that red, it's like a, it's a horse. It's a red horse. It's cool. Nice drawing. All right, but interpretations, censorship, I, it was banned. Why? Why is this? Okay, here we go. Why is the book banned? The challenges begin with Holden's frequent use of vulgar language. Other reasons include sexual references, blasphemy, undermining of family values and moral codes. Encouragement of rebellion, promotion of drinking, smoking, lying, promiscuity, and sexual abuse. This book was written for an adult audience in mind, which often forms the foundation of many challengers' arguments against the book. Often the challengers have been unfamiliar with the plot itself. Shelley Keller Gage, a high school teacher who faces objections after assigning the novel in her class, noted, the challengers are being just like Holden. They're trying to be the catchers in the rye. A Streisand effect has been that this incident caused people to put themselves on the waiting list to borrow the novel when there was no waiting list before. What's the Streisand effect? Is a social phenomenon that occurs when an attempt to hide, remove, or censor information has the unintended consequence of further publicizing that information, often via the internet. It's named after Barbara Streisand, whose attempt to suppress the California Coastal Records Project's photograph of her house in Malibu taken to document coastal erosion inadvertently drew further attention to it. In 2003. That is very interesting. Very good. All right. Uh, what, wait, what is, what's, what is a catcher in a rye though? What, what is, like, what does that mean? What is a catcher in a rye? What is a catcher in a rye mean? Mm, Catcher in the Rye is a reference to Coming Through the Rye, a Robert Burns poem and symbol for the main character's longing to preserve the innocence of childhood. If a body catch, if a body catch a body coming through the rye. Okay. Catcher in the Rye, the novel's most important symbol is found in the title. 
Holden explains to Phoebe that all he wants to be is the catcher in the rye. Holden represents an attempt to shelter kids from growing up and more personally represents his desire to avoid the harshness of adult life. Okay, interesting. Wow. Man, that's just crazy that you can write a book that would stir up that much controversy. Just inspire a guy to murder another dude? What? <laughs> like, if, if, wait, I, now I gotta look up the author. Went J.D. Salinger. He died in 2010. So he was alive. He was, he was there when, when uh, Mark David Chapman shot John Lennon and said it's because of his book. <laughs> what? I wonder how that made him feel. He's like, I, I, I bet just part of him felt pretty good about that. That, not the part about John Lennon getting shot, but just that his book would stir people's imagination, like just make people that fanatic. Just that must have been something. He was doing something right, you know. Not the part. <laughs> just. What if he subliminally wrote, shoot John Lennon, like throughout the book, he just subliminally just slips in. He's like, and, and shoot John Lennon. And then Mark David Chapman's the only one. He's like, didn't you guys see this? Haven't you seen this? Oh, here we go. 12, like, it's like National Treasure. The first letter on each line. It's a puzzle. It says, shoot John Lennon. On the first page, on using the first letter of the sentence, that's what it spells. All right. Twelve books that were groundbreaking when they came out. This is from bustle.com. Here we go. Here we go. Mmm. I guess I get... Ooh. Mmm. All right. Number one. The Origin of Species. By Charles Darwin. Mm-hmm. Number two, Ulysses by James Joyce. Number three, Tropic of Cancer by Henry Miller. What the heck? It's a, it's like some sort of pornographic book. Number <laughs> number four, Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. Mm, number five, A Vindication of the Rights of Woman by Mary Wollstonecraft. Number six, Candidate by Voltaire. Number seven, On the Road by Jack Kerouac. I've heard that one. I've heard of Jack Kerouac. Mm, it's considered to be a defining work of the post-war beat generation how many broading high school students walk around with their dog-eared copy of On the Road? A lot. And Kerouac became a counterculture icon. Number eight, The Second Sex by Simone de Bivier. Number nine, Lady Chatterley's Lover by D.H. Lawrence. Number 10, 1984 by George Orwell. My parents have that book on the shelf here. I was tempted to take a peek at it. I started reading the Haunted Hill book. 
this the the Netflix show that people are it's all the rage now. The one this the sequel to Bly Manor, which I've never seen any of them, but but I think I'm gonna, I'm reading the book though. Number eleven, Sarah by J T Leroy, and. Well, oh, we're doing more. 12, Fear of Flying by Erica Jong. Number 13, The Awakening by Kate Chopin. There you go. Oh, that's it. That's all. All right. I just want to look. All right, that's all. I just want to look. Who's, who is Jack Kerouac? That's like, well, he's a writer, but... That name sounds familiar. Yeah, he died young. Born March 12th, 1922, Lowell, Massachusetts. Died October 21st, 1969, St. Petersburg, Florida. He was only 47. Was he Was he one of these super alcoholic guys? <laughs> yeah. Died from an abdominal hemorrhage caused by a lifetime of heavy drinking. At age forty-seven, you gotta, you gotta be a real heavy drinker to die from, from that at forty-seven. Dang, that's pretty young. Dang. All right. Um, recognized for his style of spontaneous prose, thematically his work covers topics such as his Catholic spirituality, jazz, promiscuity. Buddhism, drugs, poverty, and travel. He became an underground celebrity and with other beats, a proj- progenitor? Progenitor? What's a progenitor? Is the sometimes legendary founder of a family or group. So he, oh, the progenitor of the hippie movement. Huh, wow. Although he remained antagonistic towards some of its politically radical elements, Kerouac would have a lasting legacy greatly influenced, influencing many of the cultural icons of the 60s, including Bob Dylan, The Beatles, and The Doors. All right. I should know about him. Served as a merchant marine in World War II. During his service, he completed his first novel, Though it would not be published until over 40 years after his death. Huh. So he wrote it in 1942. Yeah, during service, during World War II, when he was only 20 years old. All right. Wow. His second novel, oh, to be published, is On the Road. The one that we were just talking about. All right. Very good. Jack Kerouac. Kerouac, Kerouac. All right, let's go back. <laughs> so that's enough novel talk, and let's just wrap it up with the. Here we go. Memorable lines from National Treasure. Let's get into it right here. Oh, I've been leaning over on the dry on the drying machine, <laughs> on the dryer. I've, I've been leaning. I'm doing my. I'm doing a little. I'm going to have to stand up straight, stiffen up after this. Oh, maybe lay on the yoga roller, stretch myself out. All right. <laughs> Memorable lines. Here we go. 
So Riley said the first one, Don't trust me. I broke a shoelace this morning. It's a bad omen. I was Riley. I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. That's Ben, of course. And I like how he says it just right in front of the Declaration of Independence. It's like, what if, what if there was a security guard just walking by at the time? He's like, the security guard's like, what, what'd you just say? Did you just say you're going to steal the Declaration of Independence? Why would you just say that out loud for me? Now I'm just going to, I'm just going to report you now. I'm just going to take you in. That was a risky move for Ben to say it. Uh, do you know what the preservation is for? Ben says, Delicious jams and jellies, says Riley. <laughs> the preservation. He dragged you into this nonsense? Literally. I volunteered. That was John Voigt said the first thing, then Abigail, then Riley said he volunteered. You can't do that, but it has to be done. That was Abigail said the first one, and then Ben I love, <laughs> I love how matter of fact he is. He's like, but it has to be done. Somebody's got to do it. Last time this was here, it was being signed, says Ben. But Ben, there's another tour coming, says Riley. Because Ben was taking a deep breath and breathing in the moment. Hmm, just breathe in right now. Just like, ah. <laughs> Take a breath. Breathe in the moment. All right. Just, just slow down. Mm, something I know about fishing. It never works out so well for the bait, says Ben. Sir, it's the Hudson. Nothing is visible. It's an FBI person in a helicopter. Why does that never happen? Why does that never happen with me? Says the Irish bodyguard guy about Ben and Abigail kissing. Not to be Johnny Raincloud over here. That was something Riley said. I just thought that was funny. It sounds like a an Italian mobster. Hey, hey, we're gonna make you go see Johnny Raincloud. He's gonna make it hail on you. He's gonna make it hail on you. We're about to rain down some punches on you, Johnny Raincloud over here. He's done. He's done six years behind bars. No son. <laughs> call him Johnny Raincloud. That's my. That's my Italian. Hey man, don't make don't make us go show you Johnny Raincloud. He's gonna he's gonna get you all wet. Hopefully you bring your winter jacket when you go see Johnny Raincloud. Hopefully you got your umbrella when you go see my friend Johnny Raincloud over here. See, see my friend, my friend Johnny Raincloud over here. He he don't like no sun. He don't like no sun. Okay, he don't he don't wear no sunglasses. He carries an umbrella. He's got a sprinkler. He's got a water gun. He's Johnny Raincloud over here. Okay, you you don't want to go see Johnny Raincloud, and you don't want to go see his friend, Marky. Tidal wave. <laughs> I can't come up. The the worst improv guy. The worst at coming up with random. See, I just 
when you put yourself on the spot. Marky Tidal Wave and Johnny Raincloud over here, okay? Alright, that, <laughs> that was a fun, that was a fun little solo run right there. Alright, the last one, last quote. Here we go. It's a big bluish green man with a strange looking goatee. I'm guessing that's significant. That's Riley when they're looking at all the treasures at the end of the movie. Speaking of the end, there we go. We did it. We went through National Treasure. We had lots of other fun adventures. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, thank you. Share the podcast. Spread the good word. And I hope you have a great day. I hope you don't go see go see my friend Johnny Raincloud. If you're out there, Johnny Raincloud, he's gonna <laughs> Johnny Raincloud's gonna gonna rain on your little parade over there, okay? Now don't now don't go see my friend Johnny Raincloud over here, okay? Okay, Johnny Raincloud, okay? Alright, man. <laughs> this was fun. This was a blast. And Thank you, thank you. Share the podcast. Have a great day. Bye-bye.